are being strengthened by the strength of the Lord. Notice, be strong in the Lord. It's not Mark Gagline's strength or you put in your own name. It's not your own strength. It is the strength of the Lord. And notice, it's not, again, my strength. It's the strength of his might. Him working in us. So basically, to be strong, we're going to learn about this this morning. It means I need to surrender. If you cannot surrender to the strength of the Lord, you will never experience what it means to be strengthened by the power of his might. It's a life of surrender. And, and, and I'm a knucklehead. I'll admit it. I keep thinking, no, Mark Gagline, you can do it. You can fix relationships. You can save people. You can encourage people. You can do it. You can teach the word of God on your own. You can do all these things, Mark. It's your strength, and you just sort of need to suck it up and grind it out and make it happen. And that is far from the truth. Paul wants us to understand, no, it is the strength of the Lord. And we need to be strengthened. Otherwise, we're not going to be able, as we'll see in a little bit, to stand. So the more we surrender, the more we experience his strength. Strength is found in surrender. Now, this other verse sort of applies it as well. Notice this verse. Take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Again, you need a picture. The sword here is not like a long sword. It's not a gladiator type of a sword. It's a two-foot sword. It was a sword that the Roman soldiers would use to fight in battle, hand-to-hand combat. And so what we need to picture ourselves in order to understand, and this is the only offensive weapon in here, and and we're going to see, I don't think he's asking us to be overly offensive, but it is an offensive weapon, and it's also a defensive weapon. He says we need to take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Now, one of the advantages that I maybe have, but you can get it with a study Bible, is that you can look at the word and understand what does he mean by the word of God? Because the Greek has two words for the word of God. The Greek has one word, which we've heard, logos, which talks about the word of God, the scriptures. And Jesus Christ, he is the word of God. But there's also another word, rima, which talks about the spoken word or the applied word. And what Paul is wanting us to know, and we need to know these two, two verses very, very well to experience victory and to, to fight our battles. What he is saying here, he is not saying, take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Which doesn't mean the Word of God isn't important. What he's saying is, take up the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, which is the rhema, the spoken Word of God. This is why gathering together on Sunday morning is so important. Not because I'm God's gift in communication, is you have an opportunity collectively to sit together and to hear a spoken word. 
because you're going to need that to fight the battles. This is why being in a small group is so important. This is why I encourage next steps. This is why I encourage Q groups for us to be in the Logos, the written word of God, but to be talking about it in such a way that we have opportunity for the spoken word of God to be spoken. So for example, if somebody is struggling and they're just feeling shame and guilt, what you need to know the written word of God so that you can have a spoken word of God, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you are feeling uh, defeated, you need to know that in Christ you are more than conquerors through the one who loved you and died for you. If you're feeling God doesn't love me, you need to know the spoken word. You need to know the written word and the spoken word so that you can know that nothing can separate you from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. And I could go on all morning talking about spoken words of God that apply to a given situation, a trial. But let me tell you, one of the reasons I have my Greek Bible up here, you need to be in the Word of God and you need to be going deeper. I don't care where you're at. Some of us, we're, we're still sort of in the daily bread for our, our, our devotions, which nothing is wrong with that, that. I'd rather you be in the daily bread than no bread at all. But you need to understand that the daily bread or some of these things on version, these are training wheels to get us into the Word of God, to study it, to circle it, to highlight it. Why? So that we can have the sword of the Spirit, so we can be able to fight our battles. And to have a spoken word for a given situation. And it may not be for us. It may be for someone else. So here, as we dig deeper into this, these are three questions. And this is in your program that I all want us to be thinking about this morning. Where do you need to be strong in the Lord? Where do you need to surrender? And where do you need that spoken word? Where do you need the sword of the Spirit? And it's different for all of us. But I have a hunch as we've been going through this series, some of it's going to be where we live, some of it's going to be where we work, some of it's going to be where we study, and some of it's going to be where we play. And for all of us, we are in this battle. Don't fool yourself. I can't fool myself. I'm in this battle. And it's so interesting, in this passage and in... First Peter, and in the book of James. So you, so you have Jesus' brother, you have the apostle Paul, and you have Jesus' best friend Peter. They all say that the devil is out to get you and that you need to resist him. Which literally is to, as we'll see in a little bit, it is to stand against him. But if you don't know where you need to be strong, where you need his strength, where you need to be doing more surrender... More surrender basically means you're not trying to fight that battle on your own. You're letting God take over the battle. And we're going to see in a little bit why we want to do that. And where the word of God applies and challenges us and takes us deeper. Here's what I see as the battlefields. 
So we got the schemes of the devil. So it's in verse, uh, see here, in verse 11 it says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against. That same thing Peter talks about and James talks about. It's really the word stand and anti in front of it. So to stand against the devil. Why? Because he's got schemes. Literally, this is a word we get methods from. He's got strategy after strategy after strategy, and he's constantly scheming. You see, the Bible describes the devil. He's a liar. He's your adversary. He's your deceiver. He actually masquerades as the angel of light. And so some of you maybe are going in a certain direction, and he's tricking you. He's fooling you. So you got to be wide awake and understanding what is going on in this battlefield. And I see some of these schemes, and they're in my life, and they're in your life, and they're in Christians' lives, and it's in this world. The, The main place Satan wants to go is the mind. Why? Because that's where really our television is. We're playing rerun after rerun in our mind of negativity, of anxiety, of stress, of bad thoughts, of evil thoughts. And that's why when we did the 40 days of joy, we were trying to say you need to change your mind. You need to start thinking about whatever is pure and holy and righteous. It's very interesting. When when, uh, Satan went after Jesus in the desert, you know where he first went? He went after his identity. You remember when he said, if you really are the son of God, throw yourself down and the angels will take care of you. If you really are the son of God. Create doubt. If you really are a Christian, you wouldn't have had that thought. If you really were a Christian, you wouldn't be struggling. Well, maybe you're not really a Christian. Maybe you're a sinner, and maybe you're not a saint, and on and on it goes. And maybe your husband is against you. Maybe your wife is against you. And on and on. And before long, our mind is off and racing, which really, that's what stress and anxiety is. It's our mind going crazy. But if Satan doesn't get our mind, guess where he gets us? He gets us with busyness and distractions. And I believe, and again, this whole made for more is not just for our church. It's designed for multiple churches throughout America. And I believe one of the reasons, and it's been said over and over again um, to me as I've studied in this series, one of the reasons we can't apply this is two of us, too many of us, we're too busy. We're too distracted. And that busyness and distraction is keeping us from the victories that we need. I mean, it was so important. God put it in as one of the commandments. Remember the Sabbath day. Jesus would say, come to me. And what? Rest. And to take, take my yoke and rest in me. Eternity is going to be what? An eternal Sabbath rest. Resting in God. But we are so busy. And we're so distracted. We don't have time for the word. We don't have time to hear that small, still voice. We don't have time to be patient and to wait upon the Lord. We don't have time 
to do what we're going to see here, where we need to pray in the Spirit on all occasions. And these busyness and the distractions, this is the third soil. This is the soil that gets Christians who should be mature, who should be strong, who should be standing, who should be getting the battles. Because Jesus said these weeds, they choke out what the Word of God wants to do. It's very interesting, going back to the temptation of Jesus, when Jesus said, you know, man does not live by bread alone, and he talks about that man lives by the Word of God, and Jesus would quote the Word of God, he was talking about, again, the the rima, the spoken Word of God. Jesus knew the Word of God so well that he was able to speak it and, and to experience victory. The third temptation is isolation and independence. Satan wants to isolate us, divide and conquer, so to speak. He wants us to to feel like we can do it on our own. And once we get there in isolation, when we get there in independence, it's not going to work. One of the things that I want us to see as we pick up here the rest of this is that Paul was writing to the body of Christ. He was not looking at us as individuals. In fact, I was going to put up a whole picture of the armor of God and look at us as individuals. But that that sort of is a misconception. When you read Ephesians chapter 1, it talks about Christ being over everything, and then it talks about the body of Christ and the fullness of Christ. You read the, the end of Ephesians chapter 2. It talks about the church, and it's working together and forming a, a strong foundation in a temple being built. In Ephesians 3, it ends that God is able to do what we can dream and think imaginably, and it is in the church that he is doing that. Ephesians 4 is talking about the fullness of the body of Christ and everybody doing their job. So the picture you need to understand when you read Ephesians 6 is you're not in isolation and independence trying to fight this battle on your own. You are linked arm and arm and arm and arm and arm with other believers. That's why regular attendance at church is so important because it's keeping you connected to the body of Christ. That's why small groups and being in a group is so important because it's keeping you connected to the body of Christ. To be encouraged, to be strengthened, to be challenged. Now you may be saying, Mark, I don't know still if I really get the idea. What was going on in Ephesus? So I want to show you a picture here. This is the temple of Artemis, which was a goddess. And this was in Ephesus. And so some of us may have trouble understanding what Ephesus was. But Ephesus was a city sort of like Las Vegas. (laughs) What happens in Las Vegas stays in Las Vegas. But in Ephesus, what happened in Ephesus was proudly proclaimed in Ephesus. In fact, they were making money off of it. They were making money off of witchcraft, off of sex, off of it. You name it, if they could make money off of it, they were making money off of it. 
And this temple was right there, and they could see it. This was one of the seven wonders of the world. And so I imagine when Paul was writing the book of Ephesians and talking about Jesus Christ being the head of the church and the church filling the city with the fullness of the body of Christ, they must have been scratching their heads. Yeah, but we got to walk by this every day. We have to see this every day. We're not going to win. If you want to read more about this, you can turn to Acts chapter 19 and 20. And when Paul went in and he started saying, you know this Artemis, she's not really a god. She's just an idol. It started affecting business and it started affecting the economy. And people, they wanted to, to crucify. They wanted to kill Paul right then and there. It's sort of interesting. You want to see this beautiful lady that they worship? Woo! Is she sexy or what? Now, you may not be able to see very well, but I don't know. They thought she was the god of fertility. She was a sexist god. If you look at contemporary pictures, you know, she's like one of these, these ladies, these goddesses that we sort of see in some of the battles of the contemporary world. But this is her, and they would make these idols, and they would give them to people, and they would take them into their homes, and they would worship them, and they would bow down to them. Why? Because they thought it affected fertility, and it helped business. In some ways, we're no different. We're in the same mindset as, as we pick up our phones, or our tablets, or our computers. We are bombarded with materialism and sexism and racism and all these isms, and we are bombarded with it. And every day we got to fight that battle. So I want to wrap it up here, and I want us to understand what Paul had to say to us. So Ephesians chapter 6, if you're not there, I just want to point out this armor of God and what it looks like. So in 11, he says, and notice this, he says, put on the whole armor of God. Not just some of it, but the whole armor of God. That you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle again against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the authorities and against the cosmic powers over this present darkness. Again, you need to realize Ephesians chapter 1, verse 20 and 21 says that Jesus Christ is sitting at the right hand, and he is over all these authorities and powers. So the victory, as we're going to see, is already ours. Then what does he say? He says, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places, therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand in the evil day, and having done all to stand firm, stand therefore having fastened the belt of truth. Three times in a row, he's emphasizing, stand, stand, stand. Notice he's not saying fight. He's not saying march forward. He's not saying attack. And this, this is important for us to understand. The victory is already ours in Christ Jesus. You have already, if you are in Christ Jesus, 
and your spouse is in Christ Jesus. The victory is already yours in your marriage. It's already there with your parenting. It's already there. The victory is there. Why? Because the resurrection is the game changer. And we're going to see, we're seated with Christ in the heavenly places. That means we are victorious. And so what he's saying is stand. Because the enemy is going to come after you. And you need to stand strong. But again, you don't do it in your own strength. Notice what he says. You stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth. That is the belt that holds the whole armor together. It provides the strength. And notice what it says. It is the truth. We live in a world that denies the truth. Denies the truth about marriage. Denies the truth about divorce. Denies the truth about addictions. Denies the truth about alternative lifestyles. Denies the truth about our finances. And what we need to understand is we need to put on this belt of truth. And we need to understand what this belt of truth is all about. Notice what he says then. He says not only the belt of truth, but he says, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Solomon, he didn't get this, but he wrote about it. He says, above all else, guard the heart because it affects everything that you do. The breastplate covered the heart. And there's two ways to look at this. You take the righteousness of Christ and what he accomplished, which I think that's part of the truth, but I think the fuller truth is we take up the righteousness, the righteous deeds that we do. And when we do right, we guard our heart. Anytime you do what is right in the written word of God, you're guarding your heart. You're protecting your heart. Every time you do wrong and don't do what is right and you do unrighteousness, it damages that heart and it keeps you from standing strong. And then it says, as the shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness, given the gospel of peace. He's talking about standing firm. A firm foundation is the peace of God. Paul in Philippians says there's two types of peace. There's a peace with God and a peace of God. And a peace that comes from God. God wants us to have peace in our relationship with him. And he wants us to have peace in our relationship with others. And peace in our circumstances. And when we do that, that allows us to stand strong because of the foundation is there. And not only do we have these shoes, but notice... It says, in all circumstances, take the shield of faith. The shield, the Roman shield, was a long shield. And it was covered, actually, in sort of a leather, and it was really wet. Why? Because there was, when the Romans fought, they would use fiery darts. And what would happen, they would take all these shields, and again, this is the body of Christ, we're arm in arm, and what they would do is they would put these shields up, these wet shields, and it would take, and it would drown out all the fire, and all the smoke, and everything that was coming at their way. And it said it's the shield of faith. It's faith that God is good, that God is for us, faith in the promises of God, faith in the word of God, faith in the commandments of God. Faith that God is on your side. And when you take up that shield of faith, 
Notice again, it says you'll extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation. I believe this is our mind. And again, you can't, you can't take the brain out of this. If I'm brain dead, I, I'm in trouble. You're in trouble. And the head of salvation, the helmet of salvation, salvation, as I've talked about, is past, present, and future. We are saved from our sins. We are being saved from our sins. And one day, we will be totally delivered from our sins. And I think Paul, he knows that you've been saved from your sins, the past, but he's saying you need to be in this continual battle of understanding that God wants to save you and to sanctify you and to purify you. Notice then how it says, and it says, and take that sword of the Spirit, which I talked about. And you take the sword of the Spirit, and you read it, and you study it, and then you speak it to others. You speak it to yourself. You memorize it. You meditate it. You always have a word to be able to speak to somebody who's stuck in a battle. And that's why you can't isolate yourself and be independent because you're going to need somebody else to come alongside you and to speak that word and to speak that spoken word. You may say, Mark, it still sounds like a lot of effort and here's where the surrender really comes. Because Paul understands and he doesn't use a command here. He uses, he uses participles and he's saying, if you want this armor to work and notice there is nothing <laughs> to protect the knees and the and downward it's because we need to be praying and he says pray in the spirit i think it goes back to ephesians 5 be filled with the spirit let the holy spirit control you control your mind your actions and when you pray in the spirit all types of prayers all types of petitions for all types of people all the time god does a mighty work and as always We've been looking at, we need to be more, we need to do more, and we got to go more. And Paul says, and as you pray, pray not only for me, but pray for all people that we may have boldness to go and to share the good news of Jesus Christ. I want to put the final touch on this series, and I want to put the final touch on this. And here's what I want you to understand in order to be more and do more and go more, it requires you to understand this principle. This is the book of Ephesians. And I'm gonna put it in a different way that we haven't talked about. We need to sit, we need to walk, and we need to stand. Ephesians 1, 2, and 3 is talking about sitting with Jesus understanding our identity what it means to be in Christ and we need to sit in Christ and we need to rest in Christ and the more you do that you will be healed you'll be restored you'll be set free but you just don't sit in Christ you walk in Christ that's why Ephesians 4 1 and I said there's 40 commandments now in Ephesians 4 through 6, but in Ephesians 4 through 5, we need to walk worthy of our calling. We need to walk in holiness. We need to walk in love. We need to walk in the light. We need to walk in wisdom and make what we learned last week, take advantage of every opportunity. 
And when we do that, my friends, we're able to stand. But too many of us, we just want to stand. We want to, we want to say, yes, I'm experiencing spiritual victory, but we're not sitting and we're not walking. It's a package deal. But if you just sit and walk, but you don't stand, guess what? You're, you're going to get caught off guard. And I think that's why Peter and James said, watch out. Your devil, he's prowling around like a roaring lion. And he's wanting to take you down. And he's wanting to take us down as a church. And my prayer for you and for us as a church over these next few weeks, few years, is that we will start sitting with Christ, walking with Christ, and standing with Christ, and experiencing the victory that is in Christ Jesus.